0: Today's a special one, competitors, as I welcome to the show fellow speaker, author, and the podcast host of The Learning Leader Show, Ryan Hawk. What's up, competitor nation? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. My name's Jake Thompson, your chief encouragement officer and host here every week on the show. Today is a fun one, as I teased you in the intro, that we get to welcome the host of The Learning Leader Show and the author of Welcome to Management, former college football athlete Ryan Hawk. Ryan and I talk about football, about the opportunities to play, and the lessons that game taught him at an early age about the importance of preparation about the importance of doing the work well before your opportunity arrives. And so today should reinforce the importance of what are you doing this week to get your reps in. Doesn't matter what position you're in, where you are, it only matters what are you doing today to get reps in for where you want to be tomorrow. For that opportunity that is on the horizon, maybe that opportunity you haven't even seen yet. Are you doing the work? Are you showing up today, preparing yourself for that moment? Ryan does an incredible job of sharing his story. And honestly, he gives some of the best leadership information, career advice for what he did when he started his career in sales, how he networked within his company, how he learned to improve his his conversations on the phone, his sales calls. Man, it it is awesome. I heard Ryan shared in a different interview and was like, man, we need to talk about that today because competitor nation needs to hear some outside-the-box thinking, some things that they can do to improve their position in their career. Just because you don't love the current job you're in, the current position you're in, doesn't mean you're stuck there forever. You can use today, this week, this month, to build the skill set so that the next time a promotion comes along, you are the only candidate that's the best fit for the job. There is no question because of the work you've done up until now that they need you in that leadership role, that they need you in that position, because you've built the skills for the job, the technical skills. You've invested in the leadership skills, the ones to help you build your team. And so Ryan and I discuss a number of ways that you can do that starting today, starting to work on getting your reps in, on outworking your talent, and about investing in everyone else around you. Before we dive into the new episode, I just want to take a minute to invite you to go over to thedailycompetitor.com and get signed up. It is our brand new program. Consider it like having a coach in your pocket each and every weekday morning. I will be sending out a short one to two paragraph email on Monday, Wednesday, Friday for all Daily Competitor members And then for those of you that want to take it further, that want to further build that competitor mindset, that leadership skills, you can join our premium membership. You'll get an email every day of the week. You'll get a video once a week. You'll have the opportunity to sit in on our quarterly coaching calls and maybe you'll be put on the hot seat to talk about how we can work through certain challenges or work toward certain goals you have. You'll be able to be a part of the competitor book club and a host of number of other things that I've created specifically for those of you in the community that have reached out and want to take this development of your mindset, this approach to achieving success in life, in work, in your training to a new level. You're not content with where things are. You're driven to get to a certain level. You're driven to achieve more, to lead better. The Daily Competitor is for you. So you can get signed up for free today. You can start getting content multiple days a week. And then if you get in and you get involved and decide, man, I wanna go further, I wanna connect with some other people in here as well, I wanna challenge you to check out the premium membership for The Daily Competitor. It will cost you less than a quarter a day to build your mental toughness, to build that leadership mindset, that influence. The things that you're going to need to succeed, the tough, the dirty, the grind, the work you do in the shadows to position yourself for success. We get into all that in ways that you can continue to build that competitor mindset. So go over, check out thedailycompetitor.com. And if you're still with me, you're still hanging out and you are not in competitor nation, jump on over to Facebook face back, Facebook, search competitor nation, or go directly to facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day. We'd love to get you in there. We'd love to meet you, support you, encourage you, and most of all, equip you so you can keep competing every day for your best life. Now, let's welcome to the show, the learning leader man himself, Ryan Hawk. Ryan, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. How are you this afternoon?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Jake. I appreciate uh, the opportunity.
0: You bet. Well, congrats on the release of your new book. Uh, And I know our listeners may not be quite familiar with your name, especially if they're not a podcast junkie like I am and and dove into a ton of episodes of The Learning Leader Show. But give everyone just a quick snapshot of what you do today. Uh, And then I want to dive into some of your story and especially your philosophy on leadership.
1: Sure. So um, this probably all started because um, almost six years ago, when I uh, was thinking about a way to further my education, considered going back to school and getting another graduate degree. um, I was looking at the opportunities and options out there. And instead of uh, I just finished my MBA and instead of instead of uh, going back to a formal uh, style of education at a university, for a postgraduate degree, I decided instead to pick each of my professors personally, uh, try to have long form conversations with them, record those conversations so that I could learn, so that others could hear me learning, and then hopefully others would want to learn along with me. My favorite leaders in the world, the ones that have impacted me the most, are the ones who are constantly striving to expand their zone of competency, um, and, and have a deeper understanding of interesting topics. And so that's why I called it the learning leader show, because I love leaders who are constantly learning and thought I'd like to surround myself with those types of people. And maybe others would want to listen as well. Unfortunately, that's uh, that's what happened. So it started as, um, something to do on the side to further my education in a different and unique way. Um, Became now my full time uh, work uh, as of uh, almost three years ago. Now I've been doing it full time. When it comes to the podcast, um, working with leadership teams and leaders and businesses, leadership circles that I run, have an online learning academy as well, and then the keynote speaking um, is a part of that that business too. So it's um, been pretty wild. I could have never ever uh, planned it to do for it to go this way, or if there was a five year plan, none of this would have been a part of it. So. Um, my focus has really just been on trying to do a good job every single day and you know every once in a while you pop your head up and see uh, see what what 's happened and how it 's impacted other people and you hope you hope that it 's been positive for others and the market tells you what you 're worth, and so that 's why I, I feel very fortunate and grateful that I get to do this all the time
0: love it I love it well let 's want to flash back a little bit because you were a college athlete you got to play football after after uh, college in that leadership position of quarterback. And I've heard you talk about why you love that position and why leadership is there. And so what I would love to hear from you, just for our listeners, is one, what you loved about that position, having that leadership role, but then how leading a sports team, breaking the huddle, leading within a locker room has been very different from leading within a corporate structure.
1: Yeah, so first, when it comes to playing quarterback, I love having the most responsibility of any player on the team. Um, The quarterback in all of sports will have the greatest impact on winning or losing the game. Uh, Look at Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, uh, whoever, when the quarterbacks are good, they can make up for a lot of other flaws on a team. And so I love that responsibility. Um, so that's why I I chose to continue playing after the coach put me in that position, and I I really uh, can appreciate and and love all of the all of the good and the bad that comes with that position. Um, as you leave the football field and go into the business world, it's certainly different in the fact that uh, sometimes the manager or the leader of the team usually doesn't actually play. As a quarterback, you can you lead, but you also play, you make plays, you throw touchdown passes, you run the ball. As a manager of a team, you are running an operation and your job is to help other people perform at higher levels than maybe they even thought they were capable of. So you're more like a football coach than a football player. And so it was really a transition from being a player leader to someone who was more of a coach. And that just took me years to figure out to get even average at and part of why I wrote Welcome to Management, my book, was because of I was hoping to help other people who were making a similar transition from individual contributor to manager. I wanted to help them do it much better than I did, and much quicker, um, and have some sort of a roadmap, a manual, a playbook that I didn't have. And so, really, I wrote the book that I wanted to have much earlier in my career. That was learned through a combination of making a lot of mistakes struggling, uh, figuring a few things out along the way, as well as then recording hundreds of episodes of my podcast that I learned from those people that I implemented into my work too.
0: Well, and what you said right there stuck out most of all to me and, and hearing you have some of these conversations prepping for the show is that a lot of times those individual contributors, especially in sales, which is where you started, we automatically assume because you're great at sales, you're going to be great in management. And so people all over the country are just kind of thrust into this management position. And a lot of times it does not go well. Why is kind of the big reason for that, in your opinion?
1: Well, it's just two two completely different skill sets. Um, It's why also a lot of star players don't make good coaches, um and and so what you what what I think you want is obviously the person who's competent and good at the job they'd under have an understanding this is why a lot of backup quarterbacks become coaches and not the starting quarterbacks because the backups probably aren't as talented but they're forced to have their head in the playbook they're forced to be watching film they're forced to maximize every ounce of what they've been given their their natural ability and because of that they, they they're more they maybe they think from a more intelligent level when you listen to like Brett Favre for example play how he played quarterback I mean he didn't even understand how to read a defense while he was playing in the NFL now he picked up some of those things and became a lot smarter which he needed to tap into as he got older but but that's why his backups were actually better coaches like Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning coach now for the Philadelphia Eagles, one of his backups, those guys were more probably better suited to coach. And I think the same happens in business where you're the top performer. And sometimes you've. we've all probably had that. I always use the example of a math teacher. We've all probably had that math teacher who was incredible at actually doing the math equations. But then unfortunately they go up to try to explain it to somebody else and they just, You know, they just do their work really quickly, and they say, "See, there it is." That's how you do it. Well, that's not a good teacher or a good coach. A good coach helps deconstruct the entire process, learn it from at a foundational level, and then teach it piece by piece, the equation piece by piece. And sometimes top sales performers they intuitively are good at something, but don't fully understand how to describe and teach others to do that. Now you can learn that, you can get better at that, but but sometimes initially you're not good at that and that's a problem that's why sometimes top performers get promoted because they're a top performer and their team fails because that person is no longer in control of just their one sales territory or their one quota. They're in charge of 15 of them, helping them get better. And they struggle at it and they get frustrated because they don't understand sometimes why others don't just get it like they do. And that that's a there's a learning curve there and it takes some time to really dig in. And that's why I'm trying to help those top performers prepare to make the leap before they do it so when they do, they don't make the same mistakes that I've made.
0: I love that. And I want to come back to one of the things you touched on in terms of the backup quarterbacks and the talent level. But the other thing I'm curious about along these same lines that I've seen just with friends in the industry is that you have managers who, who don't really understand leadership, but they've been there. They've got seniority. They've been there for a while. And when that next person is, is called up, whether they retire, they leave, they're not at all equipped whatsoever to step into that leadership role. How important are you seeing within the organizations you work with the investment in people well before leadership opportunity from a positional standpoint opens up?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a a critical, the good companies are doing this. The good companies are investing in their people early. I'm talking at the individual contributor level. They are, they are, uh, implementing practices, uh, reading books, uh, having regular training sessions with their people prior. And then once they get the job and they see there's a little, there's some new things to learn, they're doing the same thing. And then they're, 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 they're focusing. And then on their mid-level people to help them for the next step. I think, I think that's the difference between the great companies and the good ones is that the great ones understand it's a long-term investment. It doesn't happen overnight. You're not immediately going to be good. It takes a lot of time. It takes reps. It takes mentors. It takes a lot of people sharing their experiences and being willing to invest in your people, uh, get them help, get them assistance so that once they do get those jobs, they're better equipped. It's still a whole different ballgame once you get promoted into the role. But, but but I think the great companies do a really good job of understanding I need to make a long-term investment in these people and and try to identify, okay, who has the potential to do that, which is a hard thing to do, but they're at least thinking about it. They're putting them in programs, they're preparing for it so that when they actually get those jobs, they're better suited to perform at a higher level as opposed to (laughs) finding themselves in that position, their head spinning, and they're struggling for a while.
0: Which I've seen personally with different folks. And that's the one thing about your book that I think is incredibly helpful for them is is if they haven't had someone to invest in them, this gives them that process to start. But there's also something else that I found incredibly interesting about your story uh, that I heard when you started, you were put into sales. Like most athletes jumping right Mm -hmm. into sales that, you know, hey, if you're good at sports, you're good in sales. But how you approached the time outside of your nine to five to learn from other people in the organization. And and i would curious if you would share kind of your approach to becoming good at something that you weren't used to, uh, how you did it, because I think that would be beneficial for our listeners stepping into a leadership role and having their head spin to learn from what you did in your first job.
1: Yeah. I mean, a couple things I I would say, first, I had no business even getting the job. I was lucky. Uh, A family friend took a shot on me. He had known me for a long time since I was in grade school, um, seeing kind of my work ethic. And he told me like, I'm giving you this job. His name is Rex Caswell, still a friend to this day, a great mentor of mine. He said, I'm giving you this job because I believe in your work ethic. I believe in your attitude. And I think you'll find a way to get good at this. Now I'm counting on you to do that. I'm taking a shot. So one of the first things I asked them was, can I interview the top 10 performers? I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never sold a thing in my life. I don't know what this product is. I don't want to, we, I was at a company called LexisNexis. We're selling to attorneys, so professional negotiators for the most part, an information-based tool that we were selling to them, a monthly subscription type business. Um, so it's a B2B sales job, right? I'm a business person selling to a business person. So I said, can I interview the top 10 performers from the last year? And I said, could you even actually help me even create the questions? Because I know I want to talk to them. I'm not even sure what to ask them. Could you help me? Which he did. He helped me create this list of questions. I go and sit with him and then I would write everything down, type it all up. I'd share it with him. And then I would reread and try to figure out, okay, what are some of the common themes I'm finding? Now, I need to kind of mash those together with my personality to have an understanding of what success looks like in this job because I have no idea what I'm doing. And second, I found others who were some of those who were doing exceptional at the job, the ones that were that were at the top of the stack rankings year after year after year and really gravitated towards them. And a few of them wanted to become managers, but they weren't there yet. So I felt like, well, okay, they need to show the boss who just hired me why they could be a great manager, maybe I could be a test case for them. So if they would help me prepare to do a good job, they would help me on the on Uh, during extra time outside of work, work hours, they could prove that they could be a manager and a coach and a leader. And I would be the benefactor of all they're doing for me. So I had a few of those mentors that I would, I would, we'd come in on the weekends, we'd stay after hours, we would write scripts, we'd write email templates, we do it, we would practice back and forth of mock calls, we do a lot of work in order for me to one, get the reps because I've always been a reps guy, whether it's in football or anything, uh, getting repetitions is very important. So I could say the words, I could hear what he was saying. I would sit and listen to calls he would make during work hours. Um, we, again, I'd have all my systems set up with email templates, cold emails. Uh, we had a tool called Sales Pro, which we could send mass emails, which was long before people were doing this. So uh, just a lot of things that I took from the football field, implemented into the sales world. And fortunately, Um, we were able to put together some good years and and those good years then led to me getting the opportunity to interview for a management job, which I, I eventually got.
0: I love that. Well, and I love not only the way you approached it, but also how the top performers did to putting in the extra time outside of their nine to five to develop their leadership skills, management skills, and just the importance from a leadership standpoint for those listening of investing in others, investing in either that next generation or that coworker. You hit the nail on the head there about the importance of practice. You and I are connected in a speaker group, and, and I know the the members of that that I've learned from repetition, practicing, rehearsing before you ever get on stage. And, and people are like, oh, you, you look so natural. And you're like, you have no idea how many times I've given this to my dog or like in my office <laughs> practicing the talk. But it seems like that repetition has been part of your almost DNA because I've heard you talk about the importance of hard work for you and, and we talk heavily on the show about the phrase of outworking your talent no matter how good or how weak it is you have to be willing to outwork it when do you remember first learning the importance of just doing hard work consistently was it was it in sports was it from your dad what kind of takes you back there
1: Definitely sports. I mean, we played all the sports growing up. Um, we were competing against each other. My younger brother and 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 me and and my dad would would had and my mom set the really the framework for that to happen. Um, I think I realized pretty quickly that I was. I had some talent, but I was not the most athletic or talented kid on any of the teams I played on when I was growing up. I started playing playing all sports as, as soon as they would have let us play football, baseball, basketball, swimming, golf, tennis, ping pong, whatever. Uh, the main ones were football, baseball, basketball, though. Um, and so realize, though, sometimes, you know, when, when, you, when you put in the work and you can actually feel and see the progress on game day, that then creates a, a bit of confidence And then you want more and more and more of that. And when I realized that the work and the prep that I'd put in prior to game day led to some success, led to touchdowns, home runs, shutouts, pitched, right, winning basketball games. When I felt and saw that prep lead to success, it really helped. I would say the biggest turning point, though, was going into my freshman year in high school. I was undersized. Um, our team, uh, at Centerville high school had this, the, our incredible coaching staff who pushed us really hard. They learned from the military of how to prepare guys for battle and going into my freshman year, uh, I didn't think I was going to play on the varsity team. Um, but I got pulled up and played and actually was put in the first game of the year and through the game winning touchdown pass as a 14 year old freshman. And I felt all of that work that I had put in with the varsity team, um, for months and months, led to this big moment under the lights in front of a lot of people. And that gave me confidence and a realization that it's the prep that really matters. That's what's really setting me up. Then I just get on the field and I'd always just say, just execute the offense. You are prepared. And as I, that kept going with those coaches and those incredible teammates, I literally felt invincible. If I prepared properly nobody was going to be able to stop us. And we scored the most points in Ohio high school football for two seasons because our offense literally had that mentality that people cannot stop us if we prepare and execute each do our jobs based upon all of the repetitions we've got uh, gotten leading up to this moment. And I've just, I've drawn from that and taken from that for the rest of my life. And that's why I think sports are really critical for kids, um, especially if you're lucky to have good coaches like I was, because it could set you up for the way that you approach literally everything forever. Um, and I always think back to that. I'm very, very lucky and fortunate to have been surrounded by really good coaches and great teammates.
0: I love that. Well, and I'm curious along those same lines, because you are a parent of, I believe, five kiddos. Yeah. How are you teaching that importance of, of not only just doing the work, but sometimes that grit that's necessary to keep working when those results aren't immediate to keep putting in the work? Because I think a lot of parents that I know are listening struggle sometimes with getting their kid to pick up on the importance of just doing the work that the results will come if you keep planting the seeds.
1: Well, I mean, part of it is uh, my wife, Miranda, and I just, we're trying to be the proper model uh, for how to behave and what we do every day. Now, kids are not necessarily going to listen to what we say. I didn't fully listen to my parents when I was our kids' age. So I don't expect them to listen to me, but I do know they're watching. Uh, I do know they're paying close attention. And so if they see me showing up and putting in the reps and the work every single day, that wears off. Um, Me just yelling at them to work harder or to practice. Definitely does not work. Um, I have made that mistake more than a few times. That does not work. But them being able to see how hard their mom works or see how hard that we, we we put into everything that we do, that could could be the model, just like my mom and dad, that could be the model to show this is what it looks like. It's not sexy at all. You show up. You do the work every single day. You try to get better. You try to help people. You be kind, giving, thoughtful, curious. That's the stuff that leads to it. Um, but me yelling at them or telling them they need to work hard. I mean, w- one of our daughters has has become a really good volleyball player and works incredibly hard at it. But if she but she has to want to do that. I can't tell her, oh, I love, uh, I want you to be this awesome volleyball player and get a scholarship. It's not like the only thing I tell her is like I get a lot of joy out of watching you play. It's a lot of fun to see you compete, to see you play volleyball, to see your improvement over the past year but that's because she wants to do it. Only thing I can do is try to model the right behavior and then hope that they follow. But hey, man, I would never give parenting advice. It's really hard. I make a ton of mistakes. We're just trying our best. I was
0: about to say, with five, I I can imagine what that's got to be like, especially on a sports Saturday. But you mentioned your daughter, and and one of the things that's always stood out, we first connected this past year when you had a gig Uh, I believe in in the Pennsylvania area that you were passing up because your daughter had a volleyball tournament and you were opening up to some other speakers in our group of, hey, who would be a good fit to help this client? And it stood out to me. And I heard you also mention it on Ryan Mickler's Order of Man podcast about the importance of having that value within the family that this is important. How have you as a family, I'm sure, gone through and kind of set the values and this is what matters to us and then obviously the action piece which you just talked about of passing up a gig to make sure you're at this game is reinforced but how do y'all as a family kind of set those leadership values and, and things you find is important to live up to.
1: Um, well, I've had help on creating values of fit because the toughest thing, the, the the first time we sat down to write our family values and actually hang them on the wall, we had like 23 of them. And and that's just, you know, if everything's important, then nothing is important. Yep. And so I actually came down and worked with a coach to help me on on this that that, that I come up with mine that I hope will become part of our families just through my action. And, and those four are thoughtful, thankful, curious, and consistent. So if I, if I am a thoughtful and thankful person, that means I'm going to regularly spend time to reflect and think and hopefully make better decisions through that thought. Uh, if I'm a person living a life of gratitude and, and, and saying thank you and making sure that my wife knows how much I appreciate how hard she works and our girls know that as well, That will come across to them again through my actions and my words and what I do. If I approach life with an intellectual curiosity to learn more about people, to understand their viewpoint, to understand where they come from, their experiences, hopefully that wears off as well uh, on on my family. And then consistency has always been big, uh, showing up every single day. I mean, Steve Martin, one of the greatest actors and stand-up comedians of all time a fantastic book called born standing up which i highly recommend to all people you know for 10 years he's showing up at uh, comedy clubs or bars at sometimes with less than 10 people in the audience and he's grinding away creating his 5 minutes then his 15 minutes then his 20 minute set And what he said, it's easy to be great every once in a while. What's hard is to be good every single day, consistently good every single day. Because that means you have to show up regardless of the circumstances. And for me, that's what I try to do. My podcast is consistent, comes out every Sunday at 7 o'clock. My Mindful Monday email is consistent. It comes out every Monday at 9 o'clock a.m. So all these things saying, okay, these are important values to me that's helped me be able to perform at a level to help other people despite the fact that I am definitely no more talented or capable than anybody else. The difference with me, I think, is that I was very lucky being born to my parents with my brothers and played for those coaches and then very lucky to meet my wife. And those things are, are what has, has helped me. But the rest, I've just tried to kind of institute those values and, and do the best I can. And hopefully it, you know, it, it, it impacts both my family and the people who follow.
0: Love that. Love that, Ryan. Well, I want to wrap up with actually something you just mentioned right there, because we do have some younger listeners. We have some high school and college athletes that I know tune in. And you come from a sports family. Your brother played in the NFL. You played a couple of years after college. And the two-part question of this that I just would be curious if you would open up and share about is how you dealt with the transition away from sports. Um, And I say that from an identity standpoint, that a lot of times as athletes, we struggle when sports end to not see ourselves as the quarterback anymore or the football player. And a lot of people really internally struggle with that. And they also struggle with the comparison game of comparing themselves to someone else that got to play longer. You having grown up and lived with and and love a brother that played in the league, how did you handle those two pieces of this is my story, this is my journey, I'm focusing on how I can be my best self and I'm not allowing what I did dictate who I am, and what someone else is doing dictate who I am.
1: Yeah, well, I, in the very beginning, uh, once it was over, uh, certainly, like, it was jarring. Um, I didn't plan to, to ever stop playing. I, I didn't meet with people. I didn't network. I didn't build relationships. I did nothing but focus on playing football and get de- decent grades, a 3.0 or oh, 3.1, whatever, GPA in college, communication major at Ohio University i didn't but i never I never thought about life after football um, i didn't go on interviews i didn't do internships I did nothing so I was extremely ill prepared and, and and that was probably a mistake looking back now fortunately, I got lucky with the job um, that led to a lot of quality things in my life but i would I would probably tell people to, to to think about that more than I did, so it was even more jarring for me because I never planned to to stop playing. I just thought I would keep playing uh, it, you're also, also when you 're twenty two at least when I was twenty two I was somewhat delusional. Um, I thought I was going to play in the NFL I thought I had a shot, even though I played average uh, in college, sometimes I had moments, sometimes I played bad. And so I just got, I'll just keep playing or I'll worry about that other, th- other stuff like getting a job later. So it was just really, t- it was really hard. It took a long time. Uh, I missed it uh, for years. It was hard to watch for years. Um, it was tough. I would actually say the, the interesting thing about it is watching my brother continue to play was a huge help for me um, because I was so happy at the fact that he was able to keep doing it we both wanted to and I was happy that he was able to keep playing and it it actually made the transition for me easier because I got to watch him win a national title win a Super Bowl become you know be, be voted captain by his teammates and still felt a little bit of that camaraderie from the side which was neat and now you know it's been it's been enough time to where uh, I just fully appreciate the value of the game and what it did for our family and, and, and what it does for kids now that I can help when I talk to quarterbacks or other players that I just feel really good about it. And really, it's a powerful tool to build community, to build work ethic, to understand the value of preparation and resilience. So I feel much better, but yeah, I mean, there were years where it was brutal. It was really tough to, to, to watch and to think like, Oh man, I would, I wish I was still playing, but um, you know, I guess you just got to get up every day and just put another one foot in front of the next one and keep going, you know?
0: That's right. I, I laugh. It's it's the worst breakup you ever have, yeah. but the relationship has the best lessons you're ever going to need.
1: It's a great one. Great
0: and one. so, you know, it, it's worth it. And so that's what I was curious. And I appreciate you sharing that because I know a lot of people, even if it's not just Football, maybe it was sports, maybe it was CrossFit, maybe whatever. They just suck their identity into it and then they they struggle sometimes with that next chapter. So, hearing you talk about it is incredibly helpful. Ryan, for all of our listeners that I know have gotten incredible value today, where can we get connected with you? Where can we pick up your book and, of course, subscribe to your podcast?
1: Uh, sure. People listening on their phone, they can text the word learners to 44222. That's where. Uh, everything happens and then my website also where everything happens is learningleader.com coms, where you can find everything uh link to amazon to buy my book or or listen to podcasts or all the stuff that i'm doing
0: awesome ryan thanks for coming on the show this week
1: thanks so much jake appreciate you having me man
0: Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Every Day podcast. To get in touch with me or the show, email us at podcast at To join our free Facebook community and get connected with other ambitious leaders working to win their work, their workouts, and their life, be sure to visit us at facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day. Until the next episode, keep competing every single day because your life is worth it we